Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. But hey guys, we are starting a series today called Rebuild. And because I think if we're completely candid, um, COVID threw a wrench in a lot of our building plans. Um, and really, I think what we have got in many ways right, right now is that many people are in a season of rebuilding, and that could be relationships, marriages, finances, work. Like you are in a season of of rebuilding because 2020 was a year of pressure everyone had these great dreams and goals 2020 the year of clean vision and 2020 is going to be the year everything changes but but really what it revealed it was a year of pressure and pressure has a way of revealing what's really going on if you were struggling with something before covid it just exacerbated what was going on so i know me personally it revealed some cracks in my marriage it revealed some cracks in it revealed some cracks in my relationship with God. It revealed some cracks, and really the point of this series is, is even within LifeHouse. And so really, as you are processing, as you are even in a season in your life of trying to rebuild what COVID revealed, I believe there are principles we can actually learn to, to, re, to, to rebuild, and I believe we will get there in in within this series, but today specifically, I want to talk to you about what I believe was revealed to us in this season. Some, someone lost their phone, so if someone's trying to find their phone, so they're going to find it. I've done that all the time, but found, found it. <laughs> but as, as, as LifeHouse has been through COVID, we're processing, and we're coming through, I, I believe it really did reveal some things for us about our church that I want to talk to us about today. So here's the thing, right? If it's your first time here, this series is going to be really good for you to learn about the heart and the vision behind our church. If Lifehouse is your church home, this is going to really help you rediscover the purpose and vision of our, of our church here. And so, so look, I pray today you'll dive in. I know there is distractions going on. I know you've got stuff that you're going to be doing right after this, this coming week that's, that's burdening you. So what I'm praying today is that the Holy Spirit would speak to you today in the way that you need to hear him today. What comforts me as a preacher with a, with, with a couple hundred people in this room here is the fact that I know I am not good enough to speak to everyone where you are, but the Holy Spirit is. God is that good that he will take the words that I say and trusting him to, to, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in this room today, that he will take it and be and speak to your heart and be what it needs for this moment in this time. Because I know you come into this place today, you might be hurt, broken, lost, you know, you might be joyful, happy, great, no matter where you're at, at today, I'm trusting and believing that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and give you something today that you can take and that you can apply to your life this coming week. Amen? Amen. So here's the thing. Today, I'm going to give you three foundational shifts and truths that I believe LifeHouse 
is rebuilding on. I'll just be candid with you. When the shutdown happened March 2020, my feelings got hurt. Like straight up. Because in many ways, I felt like what we had worked so hard to build was crumbling. Because a lot of what we had built had been on what we had done here, what we had done for the community. I feel like our strengths were being together, being, being, being with each other, reaching out to, to the community. Then it was like, you can't be around nobody. And I mean, it literally felt like things were crumbling. So here's the thing, right? And, and I know me, I went into this dark season where I felt like, man, we worked so hard to build this. And then it just feels like we can't even do anything. And it just felt like what we had worked so hard to build was crumbling. But it's even in that crumbling process that you have the chance to evaluate. And that's the gift that you have to see in the rubble is that if your relationships are crumbling, if your finances are crumbling, if something around you is crumbling, it's you gotta see it as in, this is an opportunity to evaluate. Because honestly, many, many times, success will, will shield you from changing things you know you need to change. It just will. If you're doing well financially, that might shield you from fixing relationships closest to you. Because like, man, we're good, we're financially good. But you've got things going on beneath the surface that you know have got to be changed. But you're being successful, so you're like, well, I don't, you know, I'm just going to let that slide. And, and really what I felt was Lifehouse was doing really, 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 really well. We had two services filled. People were getting saved and baptized. And it just felt like there was this good momentum. But then we hit this point where it's like all that stuff was like, you don't know who's at the church. You can't gather. Everything's online. There was political tension, who you voting for. Racial tension, masks, no mask. If, if, if you do gather, why are you gathering? You're being unsafe. If you're not gathering, you're just a government pawn. The, you, pastors couldn't please anybody. And at the root, most pastors are people pleasers. We just want people to be happy. We just want them to love Jesus and love their families. But then it was like we couldn't please no one. So then, but at the same time, we, as we got through, we had to say, okay, let's, Maybe there's some things that weren't as healthy as we thought. Maybe there's some things that weren't as good as we thought. And kind of like as we've worked through some of that, I, like, I want to share with you three foundational truths that I, I feel like we're building. We are rebuilding life house. I believe you can take these and even correspond them to your own life. So really the first foundational shift truth is this. We, we are shifting from how many to what kind. Let me explain this. I've, Lifehouse has always been about growing. We want to grow. We believe the message we have of Jesus is the most important message in the whole world. Every, every, everybody should hear it, and we want to grow as a church. But one of the things I think we sacrificed in wanting to grow is we were not actually saying, what kind of disciples are we actually forming and shaping? And I felt like in January, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, John, it's not about how many gather in a building. It is about what kind of disciples are people being shaped and formed to be. Because the truth is this. As I look in the Bible, God has never needed a lot to do a lot. He never has. Like, I even look at, there are times he intentionally shrunk things. Thinking Gideon, right? Like Gideon's like, you know, he got this huge army. And then God is like, you, you got too many. You got too many people. You can actually read it here. Go ahead and put that up. 
This is, this is what it says. So I'm not going to actually say that. Jerubable. That's probably a, <laughs> probably a terrible statement. But that's, but that's actually Gideon. Okay. Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Harad. The armies of the Midians were camped out north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreth. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many. Too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will then do what? Boast. To me that they save themselves by their own strength. And it says, therefore, tell the people, whoever's timid or afraid may leave the mountain and go home. So 22,000 left, leaving only 10,000 who were still fighting the fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. And if you know this story, it got down to 300. So it sounds like 32,000 to 300. But here's, here's the thing, if God's never needed a whole lot. I think Jesus had 12. He invested his life into 12. I even think of there were moments in times where Jesus would say hard things and people that were following him would stop following him. There was this one point in John chapter 6, he just got done feeding the 5,000. Everyone loves that story. Fed the 5,000, not including women and children, and man, they were all hype, and you're like, yo, this, this Jesus feeds us. We following him, following baby. And then Jesus, when he was, he, and so, so while they were following him, Jesus said this one thing. Basically, he told them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you could have no part of me. Now, he wasn't telling them to be cannibals. He wasn't literally saying, here you go. He was, he was saying like, your flesh needs food, but your spirit needs it more. And the food that your spirit needs is me. I am the, sus, the, sus, the sustenance. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am what your soul needs. And that's what you need to feed even more than you need to feed your physical body. But then you see, and thousands of people said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then it says, in John, I'm not even making this up. John 666. This is, this is the Bible. In John 6.66. How many of you, when you purchase something and it's 6.66, you like, give me one more shot of caramel? Because you're like, I'm not having a total. If something's 666 bucks, give me one more shingle on that roof. Give me one more nail because I'm not having a total of $666, okay? I, I'm not like whatever. I'm not trying to be funny, but... So this is John 6:66, but this is what it actually says about the crowds that were following him. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. They just literally said, this is too hard for me. I'm going to turn. But do you know what? Je Jesus didn't chase them. Jesus was like, well, we... <laughs> because even Jesus himself said there's a wide road that leads to destruction, and many follow it. And there's a narrow road that leads to life, and few will find it. This doesn't make us prideful. This doesn't make us what, whatever. It's just almost accepting the fact of Jesus's, Jesus, Jesus was more concerned about the kind of disciple he was forming more than how many he had. And I believe with our church, there is a shift that is going on because it is not just about how many people, because here's the thing. Ultimately, if the church building is full of people, but none of them look like, act like, speak like, 
give like, sacrifice like, or love like Jesus, it really doesn't matter. We could have this room overflowing, but if there isn't a group of people committed to saying, I want my life to conform and be transformed into the life of Jesus, then it really doesn't matter. But if there's a small group of people that say, I want my life to look like Jesus, God can work with that. I think it's almost really re-identifying what success is. Success for churches for all years was three Bs. Ready? Buildings, butts, and budgets. (laughs) Basically, if you had a nice building, butts in the seats, and a good church budget, people would bless it successful. And I think we were there. But I think what, what the Lord is doing is he is giving us a new measure of what success is. Because you can have budgets, butts, and buildings and look nothing like Jesus. And that's why I think the church is struggling right now to actually be in good influence on culture. Because people are like, okay, you got budgets, butts, and what's the other B? Buildings. But, but. So then, so let me ask you this. In your life, do you have the right measure of what success is? Because you can take those three Bs and transition them to your life. Budget, oh, you got money. Okay, great. You got a nice house. You, you, you've got butts. I don't, I don't know what that means. You can figure that one out. You, you can take that one a lot of different ways. I'll let you use your imagination. Uh, but is, is your defini- does your definition of what personal success match Jesus's? Because when you read the B attitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are the, the merciful in the kingdom of God, that is what success looks, looks, looks like. So he... Here's the thing, the first foundation that I feel like we're shifting from is not how many, but what kind. This quote by Neil Cole has haunted me a long time. This is what it, it says here. It says, ultimately, each church will be, will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist and not moving in the direction of radical obedience your church is not good life lifehouse family I, I i as your pastor i say today we want the church to grow because we believe we have the greatest message on this planet and we be, and we believe it deserves the greatest the greatest marketing we deserve it we think it deserves the greatest music, we like, we, because it's so great, we want to do what we do great. But we are not going to sacrifice on the altar of being big or being successful into, into what the church world thinks if we're not also focusing on what kind of disciples are we actually raising up at LifeHouse. And my prayer is that we are not consumerist, we are not passive, we are not needy. But, it, but the thing is this, right? People also need time to grow. So we're also not going to be judging. Because it takes time to change, y'all. Have y'all seen this? I'm 20 in. I'm the pastor. I got a long way to go. So I'm not saying, at times I'm passive. 
At times, I'm needy. At times, I'm consumerist. But what I'm saying is direction is just as important as perfection. We're never going to be perfect, but the trajectory and the direction can be pointing a certain way. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I know some of you like, are new in the faith. You're trying to grasp and understand Jesus and what he requires of us. I get that. What we want to do within this church is we want to give you the gospel, safety, and time. We, we're going to give you the gospel. We're going to tell you God loves you. He's so good. He died on the cross in your place and for your sin. There's nothing you can do to make God love you. He loves you because of what he did for you, and he welcomes you with open arms. We're going to give you a safe place to figure stuff out, and we're, going to, and, and, and we're going to give you time. But at the same time, we all need the gospel safety and time. It's not just those people. It's everybody. And we need a church that's, that says we want to grow, but also, too, we're going to focus on what kind. And to be a certain kind, we've got to give each other the gospel safety and time, direction, not perfection. And so we're, we're shifting. And thankfully, through God's grace, this is something that we've realized and seen as we've seen things not crumble, but as we've had some things shaken. Do you know what I'm proud about our, our church, though? That even through the pandemic, we saw 50 people baptized. Come on, this is, this is giving God praise. Like, there, there, there are estimates say, like, 15 to 20,000 churches a month closing. Because COVID was just the knockout punch. But I'm just completely honored to say that Lifehouse didn't just survive. We, we thrived. Our team pivoted all online. Y'all, we didn't even have an, like, a YouTube channel when this whole thing happened. Like we were not online at all. We were, we were, we were like mainly in person and doing all that. We didn't have online groups but we pivoted, and y'all, I just want to say thank you for those that have stuck with us, and you've given, and you've served, and you've invested. I sincerely want to say thank you, and that leads me to my second point, where the second shift we've done is instead of focusing on what God did, we're starting to focus on what is God doing. God's always in the, in the business of using new methods to reach people. He's always trying to use new methods while keeping the same message. The message does not change. It's always only Jesus. What he did for you, what he accomplished through dying on the cross and rising from the dead, that is the gospel. But at the same time, we see God throughout history consistently using new ways to see the same message get out. But the church got caught. I can't say with his pants because that's just weird. The church got caught. Because we were so, because, because we were so building focused, we were almost not saying what's going on out there, where are people, and, and actually going out to them. So really, do you know what COVID kind of did? It got the church out of the building. It got us out where church, churches that would say, online church isn't real. Guess what they were doing? Online church. It's amazing what, how your perspective will change when circumstance calls for it. What I believe this did is it got the church scattered. You can actually see history, even within the 
early church. Acts chapter 8, the church was centered in Jerusalem, but then they experienced something called persecution. People were getting killed for being, Christ, for, for being Christians. Acts 8, 1 says this here. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So basically, what scattered them wasn't because they wanted to. What scattered them was a crisis. What scattered them to go and spread the gospel was not, hey, guys, let's go get it for Jesus. It was more like, we're being murdered. We're out. But through, them, through the crisis, it started to spread. I believe this was one of those moments where the church had to be spread. I could almost see God saying, y'all, get out the building. There's millions of people online not coming to your buildings. That's where they are. Go where they are. And that's what I believe COVID did. But here's the thing, what I've seen about myself. So I'm not judging y'all. I'm just judging myself here. About church people especially, is we have a problem letting go of the past. We'll say, I encountered Jesus on a radio program. If your church doesn't have radio program, I encountered Jesus at the altar. If you don't go to the altar and, and receive Jesus, you're not a real Christian. I encountered Jesus in a small group. Everyone should go to a, it's like, we always want people to experience Jesus the same way we did. We, do, we just do, because we think how we encounter, like we think everyone should encounter Jesus the same way we should. But I don't know if you've seen this, but like, you know, here's the, here's the thing, right? Here is the quote here. The greatest hindrance to the next move of, the greatest hindrance to the next move of God is the old one. And let me tell you this, the greatest hindrance to God moving in your life is what God did in the past. If you let it keep you there. Because I believe God wants to do something new. Now, here's the thing. Your past is important. You need to look back and learn from the past. You need to go back and evaluate the past. You need to process your past. You need to look back and, okay, but at the same time, at some moment in some time, you have got to shift, and instead of focusing what happened to you and what God did, you've got to shift and turn and be like, God, what are you doing next? This isn't just personal for you. This is corporate, because I can look back. Remember when we had all those people in here? Great times. Great times. Remember when we had two services? Yep. Remember when we had almost 100 kids? Well, that's not happening. So I can look back, and I've had to, and be like, <laughs> I just wish we could go back. But there's got to be a point where we say, God, what are you doing? Instead of being a victim to the past, instead of looking back and be like, yeah, well, the, the, well, those were the good old days. I can't tell you how many people I still talk to that tell me about the good old days in the church. And I'm like, are you missing the best days? Because you're looking back instead of looking forward. Y'all, do you know how many ways God is using churches right now? 
that are being creative and doing crazy things. There's a whole church online called God Squad. It's a church completely dedicated to reaching gamers. The whole church is on a platform called Twitch. The only Twitch I know is the iTwitch. (laughs) Apparently that is some sort of avenue gamers get on to broadcast their games and do stuff. This, This guy, like started his whole church on Twitch. He's reaching hun- people, hundreds of people are watching his church service daily. He flew out and, and he flows, flies out to people's places and does baptisms. He's flown out and done, and done weddings for people that are a part of his church. I thank God for people that say, God, I love what you did, but what are you doing? And I believe there are people in this place today that I believe God is gonna stir your heart to instead of saying, what did God do? You are going to look forward and say, what is God doing? I believe today that some of you here, you are going to have churches in your homes. Like, John, are you smoking something? No. Because honestly, there are people in this city that will never come to this theater. They just won't. They have a, they have a gag reflex to the size of this church. They will never come to this church, but they'll come to your home. I believe that there are people here, you are going to lead online small, small, small groups. There are people here, there's ideas we haven't even looked at yet. But the thing, the message doesn't change, but the method can. In Lifehouse, we are committed to saying, instead of saying, what did God do? We are committed to saying, what is God doing? And wanting to get on board with that and even try some new things. Because we can't expect this whole 757 to gather in this theater. So instead of saying, let's everyone gather here, maybe we need a little bit of what happened to Acts 8 and scatter and go to where they are. Everyone doing okay? Isaiah 43, verse 19. This is a point in scripture. Well, let me give some context here before I dive in. This is a point where the prophet Isaiah is prophesying, and he's prophesying to God's people, the Jews, Israel, and he's basically telling them, let me, let me just share this with you. It says this. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise Again, extinguishing stuff out like a wick. Now, let me pause there, okay? Because y'all be like, John, what the heck is this? He's going back to what? The Exodus. He's saying, hey, look, before you look forward, I need you to know what happened in the past. I delivered you, Israel. I was there for you. You had no shot, no chance, but I was there for you, and and I not only delivered you, but think about my character, who I am. But then he dives into this. He said, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? And Lifehouse, we want to be on, we we, we want to celebrate the past. I celebrate what God's done. We want to learn from the past. We We are learning from it. But at the same time, there's a point we have to look forward and say, God, you're doing something new. Let us get in on it. And that's what I not only want you to do personally, but what we are committed to doing corporately. There was one more specific place, Acts chapter 15. Acts, you might, what is that? Acts is a book in the Bible that was the historical account of the very early church, of the first church. Acts chapter 15, let me give you the context. 
the, the, the first disciples thought the gospel message was only for Jews. They didn't have a, they didn't have a perspective that included the Gentiles. And Gentiles is a biblical word for everybody else. Jews and Gentiles, like Jews are God's chosen, and then it was like Gentiles, it just means, er, er, just means everybody else. So their perspective was not out at the point of saying God wants to save everybody. So when they were out preaching and they had Gentiles responding to the gospel, getting saved, we see the power of the Holy Spirit moves and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in tongues, we see power signs and wonders happening among Gentiles, they had a conundrum. Because they were like, uh, they're not Jews. How dare God move among those people? They had some judgment. And what do church people that, and church leaders that don't know what to do do? They have meetings. <laughs> Churches have spiritual gift in meetings. It's just what we do. So what does the church do? The church gets together and says, yo, let's get all of the church leaders together and let's talk about this because God's doing something that we don't understand and frankly, we don't like. God's moving in a way we're not comfortable with because these Gentiles, they eating a bunch of crazy stuff. They doing things in their culture that we just ain't cool with us. Eating bacon, jerky. Just doing a bunch of stuff that us Jews don't do. Nah, are they even Christians? <clears throat> that, y'all, that's what churches do now. Churches is judging each other. You take communion that, that way, you baptize that way, your songs sound that way, right? So the church, the church ballers get together, James, Peter, John, the disciples of Jesus, they all come together, get together, and they talk about it. And then the church leader, which is James, who is, one of the, who is a half-brother of Jesus, gets up and shares with everyone there, and, and the Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, recorded it, and this is what he said. So this is what James said. They said, in light of everything that's going on, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. They said, if God's moving that way, we can either be steamrolled or jump on it. And what I want to challenge us with is God is going to move in some ways in the coming years that many of you, many of us, including myself, are not going to be comfortable with. But we can either ride the wave that God is, is giving or be crushed under it. But this, is, but this is not just corporate. This is also in your life. Don't be, like, if you feel like God is doing something new in you, explore it instead of deflect it or defend yourself against it. Because God might be stirring something new in you because he wants to take you out of your comfort zone so you can grow and expand. But typically what keeps us from growing is our comfort zone. And so, church, I want us to not be afraid to say, God, what are you doing? It might be uncomfortable, it might require a lot of work, but God, we wanna get on board with what you're doing instead of always looking back and being like, those were the good old days. We wanna say, God, what are you doing now? The third shift and the final one in closing here. 
is this, is, is seeing the church that it's not something you go to, it is a mission that you join. So let me tell you what straight COVID pandemic did. It really exposed the fact that so many people see church as something you go to instead of what you are actually a part of missionally. Because you can see what this actually did is those who were extremely committed got even more committed. And those that were kind of on the fringes kind of stepped out. Like there's probably 250 people. We have no idea where they went. And I'm not judging them, but I'm... But, but, but what I'm saying is this, is the fact that in our culture, a hazard of church is that it just becomes a building and place we go to instead of us seeing, I am on mission with Jesus. That I, I'm just not part of this building. I am part of a movement that Jesus began 2,000 years ago. Like, and he wants to actually use me like that I am not just like getting good vibes and good feelings by going to a to decent sounding songs and a stuttering pastor. Like I'm going here saying I am a part of something bigger than myself. A movement that Jesus began 2000 years back who Jesus himself said, "I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it." And where I think we struggle is we, and it's, and it's almost more our, the church's fault than it is anyone else's fault. Because we've been so focused on trying to get people in a building. More than we have said, let me equip you to not just go to church, but be the church, and be the church in your community, in your school, in your family, in your social circles, at the grocery store, at the gym, and saying, let us equip you to go and be instead of coming here and just doing. So kind of a different way we could say it is not just doing church, but being the church. This is important. I am not devaluing a gathering where we all come and gather together because you need this because you need to see other colors, other genders, ages. You need to see how diverse and beautiful the body of Christ is. You need different perspectives because left to your own devices, you will will retract into just what's comfortable for you. So you need to hear someone else's story. You need to hear Scott Walter, which he's got a lot more to share eventually at one day. But you need to hear stories like that because stories matter. It shapes the way you view things and your perspective on things. So I am not devaluing the value of this, but what I'm saying is this is not it. This is a step, and this is important. But here's the thing. You can, be, you can go to church but not be a disciple. You can go to church, and we, and I'm not devaluing, I'm not judging at all. That's not how we do things at this church, and you should know that. But the truth is we all judge. You're going to judge when, when you pull out whether you should go based on is there cars coming. <laughs> like, you shouldn't judge. No, we, we should judge, but we should not cast, here's the thing, eternal judgment on people because that's too far above your pay grade 
That's something that God will ultimately do. But even, even so, within Scripture, you see Paul saying those within the church that call themselves a part of, of the church should be lovingly judging each other. You're like, serious? That's what it says in the Bible. Why? Be, why? Because we should, like, care for each other. And if we see someone doing something that could ultimately be destructive in their life, we are called by God to lovingly say, hey, should you think about this? So it's not that we should not ever, ever judge. It's the fact of we don't judge people outside the church. So we're not like, I can't believe how sinful they are. Have you looked inside and seen how sinful you are with Jesus? But thankfully he forgives sin. I don't know what I'm talking about now. What, what am I talking about? Sorry, I'm just going, going off. But what was I talking about? Be the church. Be, be, be the church, yeah. So, all right, hold on. I gotta get back on track here with these notes. Yeah, so, so basically saying, right, like, 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 like we have got to get to the point where we get past seeing attending on a Sunday, meaning I'm a part of the church. The church is supposed to be the hands and feet and the physical representation and the car to see the vision and purpose of Jesus move forward. You are part of the church. See, here's the thing. There is the, the church, which the church is billions of people across the world that make Jesus their Lord and Savior. But it's not just the church. Everyone needs a church, a local expression of being the hands and feet of Jesus. And thank God there's different churches. We, and we celebrate that. We thank God that we're just one of hundreds of churches in the 757 on the peninsula making a difference. And thank God some, some are so diverse and so different. And we just want to be a part, just one small expression of, of, of being the hands and feet because, y'all, Jesus is gone. Has anyone seen Jesus? Maybe in your dreams. If you are, I'm jealous. Okay, but, but no, the, the way people will know Jesus isn't by us coming into this building. People will know Jesus whenever we come and we say together and corporately, we are going to be the, the hands and feet and physical representation of a Jesus that cannot be seen. But, and, but you know what people need to see? Diversity, because Jesus is not just whatever, what, whatever you want him to be or whatever you think he is. He's diverse. He's unique, but he loves people. And the church is called to be the same. But one of the things that we are shifting from is instead of just saying, or here's the thing, like it, it's more of like the heart, where we want to not just get something from you, we want to get something to you. And I think for so long the church has been seen and viewed as just this place that's trying to get something, your money, your time, when it's like those things in and of themselves do nothing if your heart isn't right. Because some people have taught, well, if you do those things, then you're saved. No, what saves us is Jesus. And what he did on the cross, in your face, and for your sin. So what we do outside, what we do in response to that is called grace. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve. So anything you do as a result of receiving the grace of God is done not with a have to, but a I get to. You don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't have to come to this building on, on Sundays. But as a redeemed sinner, 
as someone who has received the grace of God and that saved you from eternal torment, that loved you so much to go and live a life you couldn't live and die the death you should have died. All that we do in response to that is simply saying, I do this not because I have to do it, but because I get to do it in response to what you've so lovingly done for me. And that is the environment and culture we want within our church. But as you do those things, you actually join up with the mission of God in this community. As a small expression of the church, we are simply a church. So I hope you hear my heart. Sundays are good. They are a step, but that's not the defining factor. One of the things, Francis, well, actually, first of all, let me start. Jesus. Jesus said this. These are some of his final words. He said, therefore, go. So think about this scene. Jesus rises from the dead. So you have dead guy. You saw him die. Rises from the dead. And he's sitting there with you. And he's talking to you. Put yourself in that position. So this is not a ghost. This is not a good Dr. Phil teacher. This is not Oprah. This is not another wise guy or wise scholar in our culture. This is the risen Christ that you saw with your own two eyes get murdered on a cross is physically standing there talking to you. He says this, therefore go. And, and in the church world, this is called the Great Commission. Therefore go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you until the very end of the age. Jesus did not say go and make church, church attenders. Jesus did not say, hey, go to church once a month if, if you can. If you got something else going on, it's okay. You know, and just, you know, no, he, he said, go, not go and make church, church attenders. He said, go and make disciples. In other words, he was saying, here's your mission statement. Here's your calling as the church is to not go and make attenders, is to go and make disciples. Francis Chan said this, and, and you know, for those of you in the church world, if you know Francis Chan, an incredible teacher, this is what he says, make disciples. Our lives should revolve around these two words. Whether as individuals or as couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on, on earth. This takes priority over everything else. So assuming you haven't done so, this is really, really funny. So assuming you haven't already done so, you should sit down with your spouse tonight and figure out how to structure your lives around the command to make disciples. This command should dictate everything about your life, where you live, where you work, where you spend your money, how you spend your time, everything. You should not make a single decision without the words make disciples factoring in. We should be constantly asking ourselves the question, how can we free up more time and resources for making disciples? Like, John, this is way over the board, man. This is too commitment-based. Man, I'm like, we, we do this kind of stuff for sports teams. We do this kind of stuff for our job. Like you are literally revolving your life around and making decisions on and making financial choices on. And I'm not saying none of those things are bad, but I'm saying if as a follower of Jesus, our, our marching orders are clear. And I just want to apologize because this, this hasn't always been the vision of our church. The vision of our church at times has been to get as many people in this building as possible. And, and honestly, I just want to say sorry. Sorry for that. And we, we want to, as a church, commit to saying, we're not just, we pray church grows, we pray people come, but at the same time, it's more than that. 
We need disciples. We don't need church uh, tenders. Now, as I'm now, as I was saying, this is a series of steps. So if your step involves coming to church on Sundays, we're gonna celebrate that. Because for some of you here, that might be a big step. We are a church of next steps here. You need gospel, safety, and time. And we're going to give you that. We're gonna be here for you. We, we want to, but at the same time, the goal is to be a disciple that makes disciples and makes the mission of Jesus move forward through the local expression of his body, which is the church. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or say yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehousenn.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.